Hello and welcome to Minta Dialogue, episode number 216. Today is Sunday the 16th of October 2016, and this is interview with John J. Wall, co-host of the marvellous Marketing Over Coffee podcast with Christopher S. Penn. He's also VP of Marketing Event Hero, a real-time event management platform. In this podcast with John, we chat about John's journey in podcasting, the trends in podcasting today, where are the opportunities for brands to podcast, and his favourite tips and stories for podcasting. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick and enjoy the show. So John J. Wall, welcome to the Minter Dialogue. Great to have you on the show. I'm an enormous fan of marketing over coffee. So to get us rolling, tell us... Uh, and people who are listening, who you are, and as like Mitch likes to say, what you do, but also, what's your mindset, John? My mindset, you know, most of the time, my mindset is ed- entertain and educate is what I'm usually trying to do. It, you know, get attention for ideas, and with marketing over coffee, to teach people about marketing, whatever's cutting edge or exciting or interesting people I get to talk to. So, uh, but yeah, I'm the host of Marketing Over Coffee, and I do that most weeks with Christopher S. Penn. And then I'm also the VP of marketing at Event Hero, which is a company that does um, event analytics and badging and tracking. And so for anybody that does trade shows or events, I spend a good chunk of my working hours on that. Uh, so give us an idea of how these two things coexist, marketing over coffee and your, your hero uh, work there. Uh, well, Event Hero is basically like the nine to five. You know, it's kind of the standard job that I'm working on. I'm very fortunate in that I've I work with John Federico, who's been a podcaster for many years, and I've wanted to work with him for many years, and so finally got to connect with him about three years ago. And then Marketing Over Coffee is more the passion project. And the the great thing about that is it has really worked for both my personal brand to get myself just out there and to be able to talk to a lot of peers and folks that I can network with. And I just love producing audio, too. That's the other side. I'm a huge music fan, uh, always have been, and loved recording stuff and mixing music. And so I still get a kick out of just hearing myself in the car on the radio. <laughs> that's just like, that's a thrill. It's amazing that, that science is there and I can do that. Well, that would explain why you are so well equipped, John. We were just talking beforehand about your Yamaha AGO3 and all this and all the wires you have. You got it under control a lot more than I do. Um, one of the things that strikes me about it, what you're just saying is that you, you, it's a passion project. And as you and I are confronted with all these companies that are, are trying to integrate digital into this into their space, whether it's an event or in their marketing in general, there's so often we run up against people who, who don't get digital or at least not enough in, in to make it happen. They obviously intellectually get it, but they don't get it. And having a personal passion into it seems to be like the thing. What, how do you react to that? Yeah, there's definitely two paths that people tend to follow you know one is the spray and pray thing where you just use digital to dump as much stuff down the channel as you can and see what you can what you can win the other side of it is to only go for the passionate you know do stuff that people love and are will do anything to follow and i think that's the key for brands too is to find what their most passionate customers are into and show behind the scenes on that because that's the kind of stuff that only that company can do you know if you've got a view into how the product is made or how it all comes together. That's 
the kind of stuff that no one can get anywhere else. And that's the content that will really, you know, it may not go to a huge audience, but the audience that it goes to will appreciate it. And they're your most ardent fans and probably your most profitable. And going back to what you said at the beginning, which is you like to educate and entertain, there's this reality that teaching is such an important part of our lives and our children's lives and, you know, in general. It seems to me that the teachers that are most passionate are the ones you listen to. They may not be the best experts in their field, but the ones that exude that energy and passion are the ones that take you along. Yeah, that's completely true. And you, you see this, there's literally the whole entire field of speakers that really have no technical knowledge to impart at all. They're literally just giving you motivation and exciting you. You know, and people kind of talk about, you know, the, the old school Zig Ziglar or new era Tony Robbins. And you do need that. I mean, it's literally, um, it's like food. You know, you need to get that mental boost and energy and it falls off a day or two later and you need to find something else. But yeah, and then if you can add that enthusiasm and energy and motivate people with some uh, actual discrete learning, something that they can apply and make their day better and more effective, then that's that's fantastic. You're really starting to provide some value there. All right, well, so marketing over coffee, which is such a uh, fixture in my, my weekly agenda, um, You've started, you started this uh, nine years ago, John. So, um, so obviously, kudos for you for keeping it going so long. What has been the motivator for you to manage to do it so often? It really goes even back further to when I first started to do you know, digital marketing, email and web and all that stuff. And it was such a sea change for me because up until that point, everything that I had done digitally, you, know, you just kind of search the web to try and find information and you test and you do things. But there's probably no one in your company to talk to. And that was the case for me at small, smaller businesses. There was no one to share any of these stories with. And blogging was the first um, evolution of that where suddenly I could talk to five or six people that were doing the exact same stuff. And it was totally unrelated businesses too. So they didn't care about sharing all their tips and tricks because we weren't competing on anything. And so that was just you know, an exponential lift in my ability to get my job done and get things done. And then podcasting around 2006 or so had come around and that would just call to me even more than blogging. You know, writing is great and I do enjoy uh, publishing, but to be able to have conversations and record that and put that out as something that people can, uh, you know, make their commute or their chores more bearable, uh, that's just a, a great fit. That's certainly much more visceral listening to someone expressing things, presuming they can still express emotions in their voices. So for people at this point, we're 2016 uh, and podcasting has had sort of various ups and downs along the way in terms of uh, notoriety, publicity. Where, if, I, if you had to say podcasting is booming, busting or still building, where would you put podcasting? Uh, I would say it's definitely still in the boom stage. It's really followed. Um, the, there's the um, Jeffrey Moore crossing the chasm uh, analogy. For anybody that knows tech, this is a, a tired old saw. For people that don't know tech, it, it might actually be even new to you. But the idea is that any new technology goes through two growth phases. And the first one is when all of the engineers and nerds jump on board. And the big thing at that point is they're not afraid to, to do a lot of work to get to the content. You know, it's whether it's a software program that's full of bugs and errors that they're willing to work around, or it's, you know, how to subscribe to an RSS feed to get an I, uh, a podcast to show up in iTunes. Like there's all this work and the people don't care. They love the content so much that they go ahead and do it. And so that was like 2005, six, seven, you know, the nerds all got in and on. Well, then uh, more writes about the chasm. There's this dead spot where it doesn't grow. And 
given the way humans' behaviors change, it can sit in that chasm for three to five years. And it's not until uh, the technology gets bulletproof to the point where it's just push one button and there's no instructions and there's no error and there's no pain. And that's when the mass market, the rest of the world, jumps on a product and, and starts to use it. And that's, you can, everybody can put a pinpoint right at Serial, the, the podcast that just went berserk. Because for so long, podcasts couldn't get above 250,000 downloads a month. Like that was the, the watermark of a, of a world-class podcast. Now you have NPR doing a million a month. I mean, there's multiple shows that do a million a month. So the mass market is here. And the question is how much more can that grow? And it's, um, you know, I, there's definitely space for growth there because, you know, there's just verticals that aren't served. You know, you look around, you're like, well, there's no podcast on landscaping or, you know, whatever the crazy topic is, you know, you'll find gaps. But on the flip side, it is a lot more competitive when you start to look at marketing, especially or software tools or things like that. There are very many podcasts. And I think the challenge now is, for the tech folks and in the beginning, it was okay if the quality of the podcast wasn't there. But now you really are competing against NPR and all these big-name podcasts. So if your quality is lacking or your editing is kind of sloppy and it's not as tight, it's tougher to break through now, actually, because it is getting crowded. I don't think it's peak, but it is getting crowded. All right, so there are some areas that are getting more crowded. You were talking about marketing and maybe technology or geeks. You know, Anyway, there's so many more tech-type tech podcasts um, what are and, and sound and quality is much better. What are the, some of the other trends that you're seeing? And I'm, I'm thinking things like shorter or longer. Um, maybe what what other ways would you see podcasting improving or in trending differently? Yeah, I think shorter versus longer is one thing. You know, because that's always been a trick that we've done. Is we, you know we knew that the average commute was about 25 minutes. So when you keep it to that, you know that level. Um, that kind of podcast easily fits in. You know, when somebody's queue gets full, there's that hour and a half tech podcast roundtable where people are like, man, if I drop that one, I can listen to eight more of these casts over here. And so uh, that's a big part of it. I think that's where the editing really comes into it. You know, you want to keep things lean and mean. If, uh, if somebody's hitting a point two or three times, you know, you want to cut out at least one or two of those. I find a lot of times, you know, a lot of times I'll record up to 40 minutes and I will cut half of it. And that's even, look at NPR, right? This American Life. They'll send out 10 teams to record stories and only two or three of those will make it to air. You know, five to seven of those end up just in the trash can because they record a bunch of stuff and they're like, there's just nothing that interesting here. So um, making that transition from, oh, this is just a great dumping ground for all of our white papers and webinars and we can just release the audio too. You know, we're, we're going to put out compelling content and interesting stuff that people are willing to ignore other podcasts for. Mm, that's interesting. So actually you do a lot of post-prod or at least you are, you are not immune to doing post-prod to make cutting it down to the right type of uh, 25 minutes. Yeah, and that, that's always, you know, everybody talks about them being conversational right. and, and NPR talks about this too and that the real art is to, edit everything out and just be incredibly structured and produced and still make it sound like it's conversational. That's the, that's the magic. Well, it makes me think of the Pomodoro technique, which says this, the idea that you should dedicate 25 minutes of uninterrupted time for anything of strategic importance. And the idea behind that. So outside of the commuting time is that if you do it uninterruptedly, you give yourself a better chance of having a profound novel thought. So essentially, when, you, when you're tackling an idea at the beginning, you, you come up with the, let's say, the cliche thoughts. 
And then you start trying to think about how can I do this better? How can I reword it? And as you delve into it further, all of a sudden you do a level drop and you end up with something a little bit more profound. And I think that in the nature of conversations, you always have small talk. Hey, how are you? Who are you? What are you doing? Then you you maybe move into a, a second tier, a deeper thought. And it's as you get into the longer conversations that you end up into more profound areas because you establish some kind of rapport, the chemistry of the conversation and the opening of pores at such a point where you can end up, you know, doing a torpedo or, you know, like a depth charge. And correct. Yeah, there's, there's definitely, uh, I, I agree with that because I see that a lot with a lot of the authors that I talk to where, uh, you know, a big thing is just, I actually do read their books. And so instead of spending the first 10 minutes on like the first two chapters, which is their stump speech, go and start on the last chapter. And, and it's so great because so many of these authors, actually, their book has already been in the can for over a year. They're already, you know, halfway through book two. Right. And so that's where you can just get into some of the mind-blowing stuff. You know, what, what have they learned from the stuff that's already been out there? And what are the next levels of it? And yeah, there, there is a bit, that's, that's the uh, challenge. Can you get to that next level? Um, before the the listener gets tired, exactly, or has to you know close off because I'm I'm at the office. So, with regard to uh, brand podcasting brands, you a marketer, me as well. We we look at different ways to get a message out there, advertising and so on. Podcasting in this boom era, to the extent that serials here, it's obviously a more acceptable media for the consumer. So, brands that are thinking about podcasting as a channel or as a media. What kind of advice would you give them and how would you bring them into why should they be podcasting? Yeah, it's funny. The first advice I always give them to, you know, is don't podcast. You should not be podcasting unless, you know, your blog is really crushing it and you're doing video and you're doing well over there for most brands because the blog gets the immediate SEO benefit. You know, if you've got a great blog and a lot of traffic, Google's just going to start dumping traffic your way. And that's huge for video. So many B2C products, especially, are so visual that getting a viral video, you know, you could rack up millions of impressions quickly if you manage to strike gold somewhere along there. So podcast really comes in third because it's, it is the most intimate and personal, but it's the most heavily affected by time shifting. Like we see this with our advertisers. We literally only offer quarterly advertising because we know that month one will not do too much. You know, the average will drop three shows and by the fourth show, by the fourth week, suddenly you'll start to see some action on those previous three weeks because there's a lot of people that will load them up and then bundle them for a car, car trip. You know, they'll listen to three episodes in a row. Well, that's pushing back three, four weeks in the feed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's challenging there. Podcasting also still has the downside of, you know, that there's no equivalent to the blog post to the, the SEO, the search juice. You know, you can have it all filled with accurate conversation and keywords, and you get no benefit of that from the search engines. So you, you, know, haven't, you haven't really wanted to explore the voice-to-text machines, or have you and you feel that they are not up to snuff? I, we just haven't done it. It's, it's a bandwidth thing for us. You know, there are a bunch of services now that can automate that. And yeah, I guess I'm too, um, too dedicated to the production to drop it into a machine and then still have to proofread it. But that stuff has come a long way, and there are a lot of people that are doing that. So that would be uh, definitely something to consider if you're going to do it. What has worked for us, which is is easier, is the email list behind it. 
you know, we always ask people to subscribe and we put out the email newsletter, which so if they're driving and they hear something interesting, you know, they don't want to be taking notes while they're driving. But then later in the week, they get the newsletter and it's got the links to those stories and those things. So now you can get the hit. And that's really what drives the traffic. We can we and that's the advertisers love that because that's completely trackable now. Um, you know, we get the links and can report back. All right. So. We said that it's booming, there's, but there's a lot of noise. How, how, what are the tips for getting your podcast to be more heard or more trafficked? I mean, so you got your newsletter you just talked about. But there's, I think of things like referencing, do you want to be in Spreaker, Peaker, Weaker, whatever, every channel out there? Or do you have certain ones you like, these are the only ones we want to focus on? How, what kind of tips do you want to give on that? Yeah, it's just like any other advertising campaign for that kind of stuff. You know, you push word of mouth however you can, do whatever PR you can. Um, your house list, you know, when you start doing it, do it, get a few episodes out the door to make sure you've got it all road tested and shaken out before you tell your customer base. But then, yeah, just push via email to everybody in your list. And then right now, the king of the, the heap is Facebook. Um, and there's some, there's great, interesting stuff you can do with that because you can go in and say, okay, so... You know, we interviewed Seth Godin this week. Well, let's go put this in front of everybody who's following Seth Godin and is a Seth Godin fan. And instantly, Facebook will give you all kinds of suggestions. You'll say, okay, well, if you're hitting Seth Godin, you want to hit Simon Sinek. And if you hit him, maybe you want to go look at Gary Vaynerchuk. And so you can advertise to these tiny little thin slices, uh, you know, for pocket change. I mean, you know, we can easily see an impact in our numbers for 40 or $50. I mean, it's insane how... Uh, how well-targeted Facebook can serve this stuff up. At the same time, your podcast doesn't have a funnel to a sale per se, does it? No, that is one thing for us. It has all kind of been uh, personal branding. Uh, Chris does a lot of publishing of his own stuff, so yeah. we do push stuff in that direction. Um, uh, but for most of us, it's been advertisers, really. Yeah, you know, it's the classic saw of, you know, our customers are actually the advertisers, not the listeners. We yeah. are serving them up to the... Uh, to the highest bidder. Yeah, I was listening. I, I enjoyed your podcast uh, with Chris on uh, artificial intelligence. That was quite a fun one, um, Chris. So, um, with regard to you've been doing this now for so many years, and uh, you know, as a podcaster, I, I love the idea of sharing. On how how on earth do you keep the schedule going? Uh, you know, there's like, do we do it live and it's recorded the day of, or do you have like a stock, or do you do you operate ten days ahead? How do you how do you go? What's your trick? Yeah, it's a balance. Um, the thing with every time I talk with Chris, that tends to be a lot of topical stuff. So the hope is that we record that and it drops the same week or the next week. Mm -hmm. And then what I do is I just have a bin of other author interviews or other more evergreen topics mm -hmm. so that I can sprinkle those around, you know, Chris and I lining up our schedules. That's really how it works. So, um, and it's great. It creates a nice mix of it stays topical, um, yet you don't get tired of it being Google News every week because there's, you know, David Merman Scott or, um, you know, somebody else in the mix that can give you a little bit more of a bigger picture and give you a rest to change the pace. Yeah, you were mentioning Evergreen, and, and we, said, we talked about before how they may not listen to it the first week. Three weeks later, they go on a road trip and download. At the same time, so uh, an advertiser gets in there, it's Evergreen Advertising. It stays in the in the situation. We haven't got a situation where we, you know, where the advertising can switch according to location and all that sort of more sophisticated stuff. But do you find that some of your backlog, the back history of podcasts, gets spikes at different times, or do you find that it sort of gets lost in never 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 land? 
Um, you know, definitely, definitely the topical stuff just kind of gets stale. It gets, you know, 80% of the downloads in the first month and a half. And then they, they just kind of tend to sit there and don't do well. The author interviews always continue to pull traffic. And in fact, that's something I've been toying with is, you know, refreshing those and swapping out advertisers to, to get more uh, impressions on some of those, because it's like, yeah, the, the Seth Godin back catalog just continues to, you know, we'll all have episodes that still pull 100, 200 a month, even after five or six years. Um, because especially people, they become fans of specific books. And when they're searching on the specific books, they come across those interviews. Um, and Simon Sinek's the same with Start With Why. You know, his yeah. book, that interview just keeps pulling over and over and over again. And how are those uh, people getting to that? So let's say Simon Sinek's uh, getting to why your podcast, are we typically just through Google or how, or are they doing, what's the other discovery mechanisms that you see people are using to discover, get good podcasts? Yeah. Google is huge. iTunes. Um, a lot of the authors themselves too will, uh, mention when they're have been on the cast. And so that helps that again, gives some more Google juice cause they will put on their blogs. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all keyword driven. It's definitely all search there. The other one too, you know, we have, um, I have bundled up best of interviews and those will make it into blog posts and, and things like that. In fact, yeah, there was a, um, a post that just dropped about a year and a half ago. That was kind of like a listener did their top 10 shows that they loved. And so that has done a nice job at kind of kicking up traffic on a few of them. And it's just funny how, you know, these random lists will pop up here and there and some of them do amazing things. Whereas the majority of them are unnoticed, but the, you know, all you need is one to pop. So, Don, you've been doing podcasting for these nine years. I know I, I, re, I recognize that, or at least I saw that you don't count the number of podcasts you're on. You're like, this is podcast number 623. Uh, I don't know if you even know how many podcasts you have done altogether. Uh, well, yeah, uh, this is a fantastic point. And this is right where we're talking about, about tight editing, tight editing and relevance is that the listener does not care that it's podcast 327. You know, that, that is just of no use to them. They just roll, here's the guest, here's what we're talking about. And so that's the, the problem for the early days is people are self-focused, but yet, you know, uh, that's definitely there. We rolled out 460 of marketing over coffee and I did 224 of the M show, a different cast I did years ago. So that puts me up around 800 uh, odd shows, which is chunk change too, because there's tons of people that have done, you know, daily stuff. I know, uh, entrepreneur on fire or adam curry these guys have done thousands so even uh, you know i can still be minor league when you look at certain numbers well that sounds like a, a couple of deadheads talking how many shows you've been to change, change. <laughs> i've only been to a couple of hundred i don't know i don't know if you spoke with david about david meerman scott about his grateful deadness he and i have shared about that um but uh so uh, let's say in your 800 because i you know hats off i don't think that's chump change um what is your favorite po podcast story that you'd like to share with us i get the the most uh interview i'm most proud of was uh, the first time i got seth godin on because when we started the podcast the, the marketing or coffee the the bar for me was like, man, if I could get Seth Godin on for an interview, that would be that would be a huge deal for the show. I don't know if the show could get better than that. That'd be a day where you told your wife, "Yay, look what happened today." Yeah, yeah, that's that's like, hey, I got to talk to you know, it, from my angle, he's the biggest guy in marketing. He's been the most profound and and giving you us direction as to where things will go, and he's been right with his predictions. Um, so, uh, and I pulled a stunt to to make it happen. I was uh, on my blog. And 
um, we had some questions about Amazon inter, uh, Amazon rankings. And I was thinking, you know, there's looking at the data and how my Amazon profile has moved. You really never want to give a one-star review because people end up hating that and that affects your overall rankings. And so I had done a blog post about that. And in the post, I said, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, I would love to hear from Seth Godin about this, his opinion. And in fact, I'll give a hundred bucks to him if he comments on this blog post. And it took about a month and a half, but finally, at some point, a friend of his did read the post and then forwarded it to him. And Seth said, hey, you know, here, give the money to this charity, give it to Kiva. But yeah, here's my take on it. And he gave me his comment. And so then that was it. I had his contact info. And the next time he had a book come out, I said, hey, you know, you've got a new book. Would you mind coming on and uh, talking about it on the show? And he uh, thankfully agreed. And uh, and that kind of started the ball rolling. I've had the opportunity to talk to him every time he drops a book and um, even just off the cuff once in a while, I'll get a chance to talk to him. And so that's uh, kind of how the stunt paid off and, and really got the cast off the ground. Well, that's great. And um, so let's just uh, spend the last few moments talking about Event Hero, because obviously, you know, we talked about education and entertainment. Let's call those two E's. But then there's another one of this events and experience. To give us an idea of, of where you think uh, events are as a a cost or an investment for brands, companies, and and what what are some of the hot ways that events should be evolving in your mind in terms of the tools, methods out there? Yeah, events are, are, are kind of the last bastion of uh, quality info for marketing. So much of the market has changed in that you know, 20 years ago, enterprise software salespeople like ruled the world. They would they would give out the pricing, they would give out the features, they would tell you if it would work or not, and the buyer was just kind of stuck having to to you know stand before the the different vendors and pray they got information that worked. And then, you know, boom, the internet comes up and just destroys everything. Now all the customers can trade stories about what's good and what they paid and what works, and so the buyer has closer to perfect information. And so the the vendors have been wiped out. You know, you, it's totally common to have, you know, 10 leads come in and maybe you only hear from two, two of them again, like the other two, something smells wrong with the price list or the feature list, and they don't even bother to answer any of your further emails. You totally lose. So events are an opportunity to get, you know, people in front of other people and literally ask questions and be able to gauge how people feel. And you can kind of tell if you're rankling them the wrong way with your pricing or if they have some problem that, uh, you know, you can't solve or the reverse of you can say, oh, my God, this is a customer we never want. You know, you can you know who to stay away from. So the ability to still have person to person contact and to educate. And then the big thing with Event Hero is to be able to put technology around that to make it more effective. So, for example, um, at a lot of these shows, you'll have four or five sessions that if somebody attends those four or five sessions, you will know as an exhibitor that those people are interested in the types of problems you solve. So being able to get a list of here's the five people that attended those four sessions, that's exceptionally valuable. You know, instead of going through the 5,000 attendees to figure out who's great, if you could get a list of the four and, and then you can change the game completely too. You can say, Hey, look, we'll fly you out to come take a look or, you know, let us send two people out to come talk to you, but you can get a lot more effective in um, figuring out what, what's a match and being able to connect with the right kinds of people. So it sounds like the features and benefits are more organized around the exhibitors. Is that a fair statement? For our product, yeah. The exhibitor and the event planner is the other one that gets a huge benefit from Event Hero because they're able to get access to higher quality badges 
and be able to track those badges. So for the planners, it's great to be able to, you can run a report at any time. Even people don't even know this for a lot of events, it's run seat of the pants. You know, you have a, a keynote theater that can hold 500 people. Well, if 700 people show up for that session, you will have a fire marshal that will come in and close the door or maybe shut down your whole show. So the ability to just look on your phone at any time and see, okay, we've got you know 630 people in keynote A, and to be able to go and close the doors before you run into trouble, that kind of data is very helpful to them. Um, and then, uh, yeah, even other crazy things too of being able to look after the event and say, okay, wait a minute, we had 10 minutes between sessions, but you know, keynote hall A is a 15 minute walk from the West building. And so everybody was late for that session. And to be able to fix that kind of stuff in future years can just increase the experience, uh, you know, make it a more fun and educational event for everybody involved. So I spend a lot of time going to events, mostly in Europe, occasionally the South by Southwest and over in the States. But what I observe is that as many of these more trendy or more digitally inclined events um, have integrated an app for the event, I still see them as being either either user-friendliness, friendless, or, um, or challenging to get people engaged. They might see sometimes but not use it all the time. I, where, let's say, what are the biggest challenges that face getting these events to use these digital tools better? How do you, how do you see those and how do, you get, how do we get over them? Yeah, see, that's with Event Hero, we knew that badging and tracking of sessions and that kind of stuff were solid pain points that we could solve and you know the planners wanted to buy those products. For the attendees, these show guides, there's still a ton of pain and there's so many poor approaches. We just decided to integrate with whatever people come to. We didn't want to build anything over on that side. So, so you've got a couple problems. One is downloading an app. And this is something that, that blew my mind two weeks ago that I'd heard a stat that the average uh, mobile user in the last month has downloaded zero apps. People don't want to download apps anymore. We've seen tools like Sked, um, which is you know an online schedule and room planning thing that is all web-based. So you just send the person a link or a text and they click and they actually go to a web page where all that stuff is and it's all web-based. That uh, gets a lot more adoption than trying to get somebody to download an app. So we've, we found people getting around that. Um, as you look longer term, though, it looks like messaging if we follow China's path, that will be where it all goes, where you will sign up and you'll get um, uh, you know, text notices. Okay, your next session is here or this session has been moved from room A to room B. So text will push on that front. But yeah, there's a there's – and then there's the bigger thing, which you did. You hit um, at one moment there of it's not like – you don't want your app to be Facebook for your show because people don't want to go to the show and then spend their whole time on the phone looking at context and – posting pictures and reading, you know, you know, they're there to see other people and to talk to the people. So it, it's, it's not, they're kind of bolting on what they hope the use case will be. And that's not what it is. I, I think the huge one is totally the guided tour model, as opposed to making it Facebook for your show, the guided tour of like, Hey, uh, people 35 who people who like, like that. you, yep, go to this show, go to this set. Hey, this session, uh, they're running this session again because it was so full the first time. Maybe you want to check that out. That kind of stuff can be huge. Yeah, and then thing I I, I to go your way, um, doing Web Summit. I was just thinking about that last, uh, or you know, it could be for South by Southwest. You know, by the way, you you need to go now because it's twenty minutes walk away. 
Yeah, yeah, or just to get conventions in in Las Vegas. You really, you know, that 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 extra time between uh, all the events, and 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 I, I think that the uh, the notion that of messaging, which you know, I've always thought it'd be a great way to to network with others who are there, because that's why you're coming. However, I just find so few people actually engage with it as a messenger, messenger or messenger between us. So if I, if you and I were there, I don't wouldn't go to the app to message you. I'd hit you on Twitter. Or I'd hit you on an email. I'd use my usual communication techniques as opposed to within the app. Yeah, driving to the right channels. No, that's so. Event Hero, you know, uh, about three years ago. Our initial thought was that attendees would want to scan each other's badges to find it, right. you know, to, and we nobody wants to scan somebody else's badge at the show. That's just that's creepy or weird or just not wanted or whatever. But and yeah, you know, you're right on the mark of that. All right. Well, we got a lot to do in getting the digital world. What do you see? You know, digital into events better, better. And also the other one, of course, is bloody Wi-Fi. When are we going to have good Wi-Fi at every event? Anyway. So lots of room to improve. John, how can someone uh, track you down best to listen to uh, Marketing Over Coffee or whatever way you'd like for them to connect with you? Yeah, sure. Marketingovercoffee.com. You can just swing over there and that kind of links out to everything else. Or uh, I do still use the Twitter. I'm John J. Wall over there. You can uh, drop me a line. We'd love to uh, hear from me if you have any interesting stories or events coming up. We're always looking for uh, interesting tales. So when you say you're still a Twitter, does that mean you, you're still a believer? Uh, well, Twitter has completely changed. And again, it all keeps going back to the chasm. Like it used to be the cool kids and we could talk to each other and there were discussions you would follow. And that's gone now. There's just so much garbage being dumped on it. But the thing is, uh, you can follow up people that you like. So I do keep track of a few people and you can still have conversations. If you call out to somebody, they will answer back. Um, but yeah, it's gone from like being the cool club to, um, you know, Grand Central Station, yeah, it's just, it's always insane. It is how we uh, had this podcast, so there's good things in there anyway. John, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, I had a pleasure. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, that's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it on iTunes, that really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of
must blend and look ugly in the end. But they're pretty in their own disgusting values. We'd hang our portraits in the hallways, make our house guests cringe. Oh, I wouldn't care. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.